There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Wonderful to be here with you again um, for yet another show, and I think this is our 399th episode, so um, we've been going a little while. So next, um, after Thanksgiving in the US, we'll, we'll turn 400 in, uh, in terms of number of, of, of unique shows. So um, last week uh, on the show, we had Barnaby Winter, and Barnaby was talking to us about uh, about identifying you know, high-value kind of leads and converting them into high-value customers. He's an incredible branding expert with amazing stories. He was uh, the owner of a, a very large branding company in in London agency, and um, he was sharing some wisdom. And every time I talk to Barnaby, I write loads and loads of notes, come, up, come out with loads and loads of ideas about how to improve branding and, and um, generate leads and, uh, and also to um, build high-value customers. He's, he's great. So I would recommend if you're looking to do that, if you want more leads, you want more customers in the new year, then uh, do listen to that show. And love to hear your comments and thoughts on it as well. So you can always contact me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now, I feel very, very passionate about this subject today. And you may have heard me talking about elevating leadership before on this show. You know, my, my work involves elevating um, the performance of businesses, so elevating their leaders, their teams, building highly engaged workplaces. And I feel very, very passionate about um, the need to elevate leadership to a higher level um, a, a level that's not just based upon intellect, it's based upon wisdom. And we've got a fantastic guest today to talk to us about this subject, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And if you haven't noticed, we're living in, I'm sure you have, we're living in a momentous period of history at the moment with this great divide in ideology, there's lots of anxiety and isolation as our homes, families, networks, livelihoods are disrupted by the global pandemic. And of course, in the United States, there's been uh, lots of uh, different um, perceptions and challenges to thinking uh, around the election. Uh, we heard that in the UK around Brexit um, not so long ago. And it just feels that there's a need for even more positive leadership. To end prejudice, we've had Black Lives Matters. Um, we build economics and personal and planetary well-being. Um, you think the the planet is really facing challenging times and uh, you know, we need to create unification, utilize technology and wisdom to resolve the many issues that we're facing. And it seems that rarely in most of our lifetimes, um, certainly if you're brought up you know, post-war, uh, Second World War, there's been a greater need for positive, high-integrity leadership. So to talk to me today and talk to us is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, the President and CEO of Trans Leadership Inc., and, and the host of the twice-weekly podcast, The Voice of Leadership. She's also a host of the, the TV show, Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership, 
author of Lead Yourself First, The Senior Leader's Guide to Engaging Your People for Greater Performance and Impact, and creator of an online course on Teams Empowered for Dynamic Organizational Results. Uh, Dr. Cowan has more than 30 years of experience as a trusted advisor, and she partners with clients and uh, to select and retain the best people, create high-performance teams, develop cultures that get rapid results. Uh, previous positions include um, serving as a chief assessor and C- senior faculty member of the Center for Creative Leadership in Colorado Springs. And she's been an active duty army officer and a psychologist. She's members of, of lots of so- associations and um, just, just wonderful to, to talk to uh, an inspirational um, leader like Dr. Karen today about this call for positive leadership. And I think we both agree there's a need to call for positive leadership today. So uh, welcome to Dr. Karen. And thank you so much, Chris. It's a delight to be here with you today. You're very welcome. It's lovely, lovely to talk to you. And, you know, I'm wondering, wondering first, you know, before we, we really move on, you know, what's life like for you and um, your husband, Greg, and family in beautiful Colorado Springs? And, and how's it been impacted by, you know, the pandemic and, and of course, um, climate change being Colorado Springs and the election. So that's quite a big question, really. <laughs> that is a very big question. <laughs> so first of all, let me say that we are very, very happy and very thankful because we are doing well. And what I mean by that is my husband actually is twice retired. And so financially, we're fine. We have food, we have shelter, we have clothing. And in my case, I've had to really reinvent my business this year because my business normally is about 85% travel. And so I've been able to reinvent it. I still have clients who are considered essential and therefore who are still working. So that's good. That means that I'm also still working as well. And so, yes, we're in a very beautiful state. So I can look out the window right now, Chris, and I can see one of our famous 14,000 foot mountains, which is Pikes Peak, which is right here. And so the beauty is all around us in that sense. We've been a bit more, a bit more restricted in terms of where we can go. Normally, I mean, my family's all the way on the East Coast, which is about at least 1800 miles away. My husband's family is all the way on the West Coast. And normally I'm in you know, on the East Coast, at least four or five times a year where I drop in to visit the family. So this year we had to cancel my father's birthday celebration that we were going to do. So many things like that. And the older members of the family, like, you know, my father's in his 80s, my mother-in-law's in her 90s, they don't have the technology to do Zoom meetings and so on. Mm. So we're limited to, you know, communicating by phone. So there's definitely been an impact of the virus pandemic on lifestyle and our movements. Even uh, I'd say September was our anniversary. We took a road trip. We normally fly somewhere like to the ocean, to the beach where I like to go. We're not flying. So we went to Wyoming and got a chance to see beautiful Yellowstone Park and the Grand Teton Mountains, which was fabulous. And at that time, you know, the virus numbers were very low in Wyoming and now even there, the numbers are creeping up, so maybe more restriction. Yeah, yeah. I'm just my mind is just uh, going back to a trip I had uh, a number of years ago, and and I'm thinking about those Grand Tetons, a beautiful looking range of mountains, aren't they? Oh yeah, very beautiful and just unusual because of the the jaggedness of them and yeah. how sharp the peaks are. 
Yeah. So you, you, your husband's from the West and you're from the East and you're kind of living in the middle uh, somewhere <laughs> at the moment and in beautiful Colorado. I mean, what a, what a place to live. Um, it was, so what was your, what were your early, your early life like you're living on, I assume the East coast with your family, but what was life like growing up for you? And how did that lead to, you know, wanting to be in the U S army and, and becoming a psychologist? I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, which is right on the Chesapeake Bay, uh, and it was a city. It's an industrial city. And so that was my life growing up in, in kind of at that time, it was a big city. It's gotten a little bit smaller now in terms of population and so on. But when I was there, it was, it was considered a big city, and it was right next door to Washington, D.C. And of course, Washington, D.C. is very cosmopolitan and, you know, definitely a, a big city vibe and an international flavor more in Washington, D.C. But Baltimore was very local. And it had a flavor of, of almost like, even though it's technically in the mid-Atlantic and considered one of the northern states, it had a southern vibe in the sense of people being very warm, very friendly, and very kind. People would speak to you on the street. So I just grew up in that sort of environment. As a child, I could take a bus by myself, go downtown, nobody worried about anything like that. And so it was uh, that sort of uh, environment. When I was a child, it was there that I decided I wanted to be a psychologist. And I was fairly young when I made that determination. I was reading what we used to have was called the Dear Abby column in the newspaper. And people would write in questions and, and Dear Abby would counsel them and give them answers. And I thought, yeah, that must be what psychologists do. That's what I want to do with my life. And I know in my family as the oldest child, I was always kind of like that counselor to my siblings and to the neighborhood children. And even my parents used to consult me about various things. I just had that sort of a mind. So it was being a psychologist is what was really important to me. And the army part actually came later. I never really aspired to be in the military. I did not have, did not come from a military family. It was just that I wanted to have the best training and exposure as a psychologist. So my objective was to go to Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. I knew that they were a medical evacuation hospital and some of the most difficult cases worldwide would come to Walter Reed. And I thought that would be a good place to get, you know, some training and to get exposed. I didn't know at the time you had to be in the Army to go to Walter Reed. So going to Walter Reed was part of my psychologist dream. And then I discovered you had to be in the army. So to continue fulfilling on the psychologist dream, that's how I got in the army. Hanson, did you have to go through those, those kind of army routes of training and hit certain standards to get in there? Even though oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Let me assure you. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I start, in fact, the year that I did basic training in the Army. I was part of the Army Medical Department, and specifically the area I was in is called Medical Service Corps. And in that, the year I went to basic training was the year they decided to extend basic training, make it much longer, and make it the infantry of the Army Medical <laughs> Department. Oh, so nice. it was quite intense. And then beyond that, there were, there were other kinds of military trainings as well. Army Confidence Course and out and the range doing weapons, 
you know, firing and so on and so forth. So, yeah, there was, a, there was definitely the Army and the military part for sure. And, and, and I'm kind of intrigued, you know, whether it was experiences when you were in the Army with, with leadership that uh, maybe inspired you to want to take a stand around positive leadership Yes, both both positive and also examples of maybe what not to do. <laughs> so a yeah. little bit of both. But I, I do remember one stellar example in terms of leadership. And this individual was the hospital commander at Walter Reed, you know, Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. And he was incredibly inspiring. The hospital commander would walk around and we'd go to different units and different places. He was always smiling. He was always appreciative. And he would say positive things. To this day, I still remember him because of the inspiring way in which he showed up. Now, later, when I was at the 1st Infantry Division and some other assignments and places, there were leaders who were more like, you know, in your face and screaming and hollering. And there was not the sense of really casting or painting a vision for why are we doing what we're doing? What is the importance of this vision? And how are you personally important to it? What gifts and talents are you bringing? And so when I think about today's world, including in the military, it's very important to engage people at that sort of vision and mission level and to help them understand where they fit in and to appreciate the gifts and talents that they're bringing because people commit at a higher level and they give more. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess they can attach their purpose. They can understand the reason why they're doing it, if they can believe in that vision and see that link between the two. Absolutely. You want people to come from that values place inside of them that connects with the values of the mission of whether it's military or some other organization. You don't want them just there checking off a box, doing a job in the most perfunctory sort of a way, following rules, if you will. You want them to add value and bring all of who they are you know, to the workplace. Yeah. Mine's suddenly gone to um, the film Forrest Gump. If you, if you know that one with that little, little sort of snippet in there where um, Forrest says, you know, I, I'll, if you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And, uh, you know, his, his leader is uh, very impressed with that. Um, I, I just wonder, is there still a place for this kind of, you know, breaking people down, which um, seem to be part of the, the training of, uh, of various military bodies. Well, and I think, and, and let's, to, to be fair, I have to say, the, the military is not a monolith either. And there's all kinds of leadership styles within the military. And you need to have a diversity of styles because there are different yeah. situations, there are different people, and sometimes you have to show up in a different way. So one of the things I would say that is important in a military context because you are dealing with life and death. And because many times the orders that may be given to someone must be followed speedily and you may not have the opportunity to explain everything in detail at that moment, 
you therefore are training people to be able to follow those orders quickly. You're also training them to let go of some of what they may have been accustomed to doing in their civilian life because they're in a different context. So I'm not saying eradicate that. However, you are building trust you are building confidence in the relationship so that if, for example, you're a senior leader and you're leading troops, that they know you have thought about what's in their best interest, even as you're engaging a dangerous mission, so that therefore they're willing to take that step, you know, into danger, put their lives on the line because they know that you have considered them. I think that's what's really important. So that's the, the, these these characteristics that you just described, and and having a vision and uh, inspiring people around it. Is this what you call positive leadership? It's definitely a part of what I call positive leadership. Positive leadership has a lot of components. We've been talking about sort of like the front end visioning piece and the front end connection to the mission or, or what the organization is doing. I would also say that a huge part of positive leadership is the messaging and the way issues get messaged. So you can, it's important to communicate on an ongoing basis with those that you are leading and to stay in touch. Like right now, for example, during this pandemic of the virus, one of the challenges is that some organizations aren't communicating enough. They're not even sharing what we're doing as an organization to keep you safe while we're still working. People want to know that. That's important. So you have to think about the frequency of communication and how you're communicating. So one big thing on the how that I see a lot, you want to communicate from the positive frame that identifies what are people doing well and you want to call that out so that you get more of what people are doing well. Most often, I'll see leaders go in and they focus on what's wrong and what's not going well. And that's what gets all of the airtime and all of the tension, attention. And then people start getting deflated and they're thinking to themselves, I'm sitting here at work wearing a mask. I'm here under difficult conditions. I'm concerned about my health and what I'm going to bring back to my family. And no matter how hard I work, how many long hours, all I hear is the negative message, no appreciation for what's going right. Yeah. I was running a, a, I ran a first module of a, of a, a leadership program full day this week. And I was sharing having that kind of a conversation with uh, the leaders that I was working with. And, uh, and I, I referred to, I think it's a Stephen M. R. Covey quote around, you know, about, about, you know, great leaders, if there's a problem, they look in the mirror and if uh, something's going well, they look through the window and give praise. And that is often what you described there, a, a big challenge when the finger's being pointed, where things aren't going right and the leaders are not looking at themselves first. Um, yeah, and in, in fact, looking at yourself to say, how am I addressing this? Yeah. You know, what message am I giving at the moment? What else do my people need to do more of what it is that I'm calling them to do? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think thinking more about what can we learn 
even from what's not going well, rather than focus on this is wrong or this is a problem, okay, we're learning something here. What is it that we're learning and how can we apply that learning going forward? Absolutely. Well, on that note, we're going to go to commercial break. And after the break, we're going to come back. We've got lots more to talk about today, believe me. Um, So do join us after the break. We're back again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with uh, dr karen wilson starks and we're talking about the, this call today uh, the need for uh, even more positive leadership. And and I have to be honest, I'm sitting here in the United Kingdom where we're post-Brexit and uh, I was you know, very frustrated about the divisions uh, that that developed in our country. And and I wanted to, I've been watching the, the election in the US um, at a distance, um, but been really, really interested in it and, and what's going on from a, a leadership perspective. And I have to say, I've, I've been slightly disturbed in in talking with a, a number of um, individuals, Americans who are in my network, um, um, really accomplished uh, peers who I, I communicate with regularly, and, and I'm hearing, you know, people believing of um, you know that there's a an, you know a, a, there's great corruption in the U.S. There's been great corruption around the um, the voting system. Others who are telling me it's been absolutely. Uh, you know, impeccable in terms of the quality and standard of the um, the counting of votes. Others who are telling me there's an undercover paedophile um, ring that's kind of running running the world, and I'm I'm kind of wondering right now whether whether uh, Dr. Karen, we we need to be just concerned and thinking about whether you know the messages that leadership have put out uh, have been impacting our subconscious minds. Um, and you know, are we has has our, some of our subconscious minds being manipulated by some of this? Because um, it can't, everybody can't be right. 
Well, that's a good point, and everybody can't be right. And <laughs> and let me just maybe make a, a broader comment, which is this. I think in today's world, it's harder than ever to sort out what is true versus what is not true because there's so many information sources coming in all at once. I can remember as a child, there were very few information sources. We didn't have the internet and all of that. And so you had major newspapers, major news outlets. There was the nightly news on TV and you would you know, hear various different things. And at that time, there was a lot of confidence in what was being reported in the news. Today, you might read a very compelling article on the internet, or you might even hear a podcast or a show or whatever it is. And it sounds, it sounds like this is credible. And today, more than ever, you have to get confirming evidence to find out if what you heard is really true or not. So you almost have to consider multiple sources and somewhere in there, ferret out what's true and what isn't. So it's a lot more work for the individual citizen than it used to be many, many years ago. So that's one issue that we have. On top of that, Chris, then the leaders when they are giving a message, and this is also true in a business context, when you are at the top of the organization, whatever you say carries so much more weight than what you know someone much lower down in the organization says. And people expect that you are saying something that is true, and therefore they align their behavior and their next steps according to what you're saying, even if it's not true. And so that's a dilemma that we face today in terms of leaders and leadership. Uh, and do we also, uh, is it also a, 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 a danger in some ways, a risk that if we, we, people like to be associated with groups, don't don't we, you know, we, we join groups as, as, children we have certain groups of groups of friends and we might join certain be part of certain religious groups certain political groups and uh, quite often it's it's um, easy to just um or it's 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 deemed important to accept the the beliefs and values and principles of that group yeah that is really it's it's an advantage and also a challenge at the same time i mean we are as people social animals and so therefore we are connected in groups in that sense and that's how we survive in the world is being in groups at the same time though i think that where the difficulty is is when we don't reach out to also access other groups and have other experiences, including other information. So sometimes you can just hear insular information within your one group, and it may not be the whole story or everything that there is that you need to know. And I'm going to give an example. In the 70s, when I was in graduate school, right about in one of those years is when we sort of had the Iran hostage crisis, you know, that affected the United States. And at the time, there was news coming in from U.S. news outlets, which, of course, I had access to. I had a number of friends in graduate school, however, who were from Iran, and they also were getting news from other countries, including their own. 
And it was interesting to see the same events described in different ways from different perspectives. So I think as people, we have to train ourselves to go beyond just what our natural normal perspective is and to consider other perspectives. Because as a result of hearing those other perspectives, I had a fuller appreciation and understanding of what was happening in the Iran hostage crisis because there were some things that wouldn't even be reported in the U.S. It didn't mean that what was being reported was was incorrect or wrong. That's not true. There was just another piece of it that also was valuable to hear. Yeah. And, and the Iran's a really good example, isn't it, of uh, a, a whole nation now, and it'd be easy to listen to all the rhetoric and all the communication and deem it to be a terrible place with terrible people. And I have, I've not actually personally spoken there myself, but a number of my, my friends have spoken in Iran and uh, come back completely stunned that it's a, a beautiful country, people really lovely and really genuine, uh, lovely educational establishments. I'm obviously frustrated by sanctions and things like that, but, um, but it's, it's easy to make a, make a, an assumption and put everybody into the same basket. Yeah, and I think that's a huge mistake that often can occur. Similarly, you know, I've traveled to lots of places across the world and across the globe. And what I have found is that when you're speaking at the individual level with people, there are lovely people in every country. I agree. And also in the United States, this is a very diverse country. There are people here from all over the world. I have met people from nations that we would consider to be enemy nations. And yet, as you're indicating, the individual people I'm meeting are lovely people. So we have governments sometimes that are problems. We have regimes that are problems and certainly despotic leaders and so on across the globe. And if you happen to be a citizen of one of those countries, then that's a challenge and that's a difficulty. However, I would not paint a brush across all the people in that country based on who their leader is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think at the end of the day, most most people around the world, they want to have food and shelter and, you know, have a, a good life with their families and with their neighbors. And, um, and actually, we're all fairly happy to most of us to, you know, have that kind of a, a simple life, maybe be able to travel and have a holiday. And, and it's, it's quite simple on that basis. But actually, when um, leadership and regimes and politics and religion have an impact at a, at a leadership level, um, things can be less positive, can't they? Well, and I think it's, it's, it's not just regimes, it's not just religion, it, it's a matter of, of what is the message of the regime, yeah. or what is the message of the religion, whether it's going to be a negative impact or not. You could have a, a message out there that says, love your neighbor. Well, that's a positive thing, okay? And you want people to be, you know, focused on that. You can have a message that's about being helpful and collaborative and so on and so forth. So, so it kind of depends on what that messaging is and how people are being instructed to live out their lives. When the message is destructive and you get groups of people following behind that, 
and implementing that destruction, that's where we have difficulty. And particularly when those people are isolated in their bubble and they're not hearing other you know, information and they're not hearing other perspectives. So yeah, there are people on the planet who are dangerous. And so we have to understand that as well. But in this, in this, this area of positive leadership, are we talking about positive leadership being more about, you know, engendering and moving towards um, love rather than fear? Actually, that's an, an important component because let me speak a little bit about that. When you're living in love, there's a sense of an expanded presence in your life. You're able to do more. You're able to imagine greater possibilities. And you're thinking about what collaboration might even look like. When fear enters the picture, now we're talking about a constricted life. Things feel very dangerous and it becomes a myopic view and a view where you have more tunnel vision and it's more a protected view. I've got to stay on my own island and keep everybody out, you know, so to mm. speak. And with that sort of a mindset, you miss opportunity. That's what I think happens when you have fear as opposed to love. And let's uh, let's talk about so the, the Black Lives Matter because that's been a really you know, important. Um, um, level shifter in terms of awareness. It's uh, as one of my my connection described it. It's like you know the, the ice has melted and the permafrost has uh, has gone, and underneath we're seeing you know some some real truths about ourselves at the moment. And um, and, and I know that you're very passionate about the principles and practice of Dr. Martin Luther King. And I just wonder if you want to talk a little bit about that and uh, and this this area of Black Lives Matter. Um, linked in with it. Sure. And let me just first say this, Chris. I think that in the United States, we have had a history of racial tensions for a very long time. And I grew up in an era where there was a lot of segregation and difficulty and challenge and so on and so forth. So I experienced it personally as well. And it's not over, it continues. There are things that I experience today as well because there is still that element in our culture here. And if I go back to my father's life, he grew up on a slave plantation, which was very difficult. And his mother was born in the 1800s and his grandparents were enslaved on that same plantation where he grew up. And so he has a perspective on that as well. And I say this to because my father is still living, to say it wasn't as long ago as people like to think, because people are still living who have a perspective on those events. So given that history in the United States, and given given some ongoing challenges, one of the difficulties is that people who are in the Black communities know and understand that many of these prejudices and many of these difficulties are continuing. I think that in today's world, because of the cell phone, because of being able to video incidents on the street, for the first time, 
we're really able to show and broadcast to other segments of the population the reality of what's been going on for years. So black communities know and understand the challenge and the issue with the police. That's ever since I can remember, that has been a concern. And mothers have always feared, particularly for their sons, about what might happen to them just being even improperly and unfairly arrested. You could just be arrested because you're black and walking down the street. So these are realities that we know about and we're familiar with. And now other people are getting to see it. So I think that's actually a useful component in today's culture that what's been hidden in the darkness is coming out in the light. More people are aware of it. And now the difficult question, Chris, is this. Now, what do you do about it? Now, my own philosophy, as you've indicated, is much more aligned with perspectives that Dr. Martin Luther King shared. And it's the opposite of what we see with the Black Lives Matter movement. So I'm going to say a couple things about that first. Number one, of course, as an African-American person myself, the concept of Black Lives Matter is near and dear to my heart. And yes, I believe that Black Lives Matter. At the same time, I do not support the organization because the strategies, the approaches, and the principles that they are using are likely to cause more disruption in our society than what Dr. Martin Luther King recommended. So I would love to share with you what Dr. King recommended, because I think we could use that today. Excellent. Well, should we do that after the break? Because we're going to go to another one. Um, I think that's a, I'm really excited to hear about that. I think sure, absolutely important. So we'll come back with you in a couple of minutes, and we'll find out about um, you know Dr. Martin Luther King's approaches and why that's opposite to the approach being taken by Black Lives Matter. Be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and I'm just loving listening to uh, Dr. Karen. Dr. Callan, tell us about the principles and practices of Dr. Martin Luther King. Well, Dr. Martin Luther King was a seminal figure really across the globe, really as a person who was championing civil rights. And he had four basic principles that I want to share today. Number one is if there's something going on in society that's actually against the moral law, if you will, or what's really right to do. The first thing you want to do is collect the facts and evidence about whatever that injustice is. And so you you want to be sure, yes, there is injustice. Here's the proof of it. So that's number one. You're collecting the facts to determine what the injustice is. Number two, you're negotiating with the powers to be and people who are in a position to make a change in in the injustice. So you go to them and you say, here's what we see. Here's what's going on. And you talk about what some viable solutions may be. And you're trying to work that out so that collectively you're taking an action that's going to make a difference. Now, if the powers that be listen And if you're able to co-create a solution that's going to solve the injustice issue, then great, that's where you stop. Frequently, you can't reach that negotiation. The people aren't willing, or they might do it for a minute, but it's not long lasting. And so you have to come back. So if people aren't listening and you're not able to negotiate, then you're ultimately going to get to step four, which is direct action, But that requires dialing in step three. Now, step three is self-purification. And this is really crucial because in self-purification, you recognize that now you're going to have to engage in direct action, which is civil disobedience. That means you might be doing some nonviolent marches. And as you're marching through cities and towns that I believe in injustice, and that's what they're wanting to continue, you might get arrested. So he trained people on how to be nonviolent, even when others were being violent towards you. You have to be able to accept physical and mental abuse. People might hit you. They might throw blows at you. You might get hit on the head with a nightstick. You might get trampled by a horse. You might get spit on and you still have to stay in the mindset of nonviolence, which takes training in order to do this because you're enduring a lot of ordeals. And because of civil disobedience, if you get arrested, you might go to prison and have to deal with the indignities of prison. And in his day, you know, difficult work camps that also killed people just being in those work camps. And because you practice this, what it does is it draws attention to the real problem, which is the injustice. 
And the whole purpose of the direct action is to, like our cell phone society right now, is to shine a light on the issue and to bring you back to step two of being able to come to the table to negotiate a solution. So if we think about the issues in the U.S. right now around the police brutality in some cases, and again, it's not all policemen. This is a a subset of police who, when they're dealing with members of the Black community, actually use excessive force and people can't even get to the jailhouse, let alone the courthouse where in the United States, we do believe that a person is innocent until proven guilty. So that would be an injustice. So with that in mind, I want to just give an example that, you know, we had um, congressmen who, who died this year and that's Representative John Lewis. And one of the things that he did back in 1965 was a big march across this bridge in Selma and Selma, Alabama. It was the Edmund Pettus Bridge. He took 600 people peacefully marching across the bridge. When they got to the other side, and this was for voting rights, when they got to the other side of the bridge, Alabama state troopers were waiting for them. And this is what it was called Bloody Sunday because they were so beaten and so, uh, you know, oppressed, even though they were nonviolent. And even Representative Lewis suffered permanent, you know, brain injury as a result of this incident. But here's what it also did. It was so heinous that when the news clips came out, people recognize the injustice. And it wasn't long after that when the Voting Rights Act was passed because of it. Now, if I contrast that to what's going on today, because of the violence in the streets with the current movements and movements where it's not a a movement based on love and brotherhood and trying to work together. And therefore, When you see the violence in the streets, you see businesses being torn down and you see all of that, the emphasis is no longer on the unjust issue of police killing people and asking questions later. And that's why what Dr. King recommended is needed today more than ever. And there are far more people today willing to participate in it than was the case back in the 60s. And so I think there's a disservice that's being done by organizations that are not on the side of love today because it takes our focus off of the real issue. That's extremely helpful, I think. Very, very thought-provoking. And, you know, you're, you're right very quickly from these, from these videos. It's, it's gone to action, hasn't it? And, and I suppose it also attracts people who maybe like a bit of trouble too, potentially. Absolutely. And let me say, Chris, there's not a problem with action. You have to act because or, situations, groups, organizations, they don't, they don't stop doing the wrong thing easily. However, the kind of action is not violence. It's a nonviolent protest. It's a non-violent willingness to go to jail and to go through those situations because you're fighting for the freedoms and against injustice. It's not action where, okay, they beat me, so now I'm going to go and beat them. Hmm. These are sort of similar principles to what Nelson Mandela learned 
over time. Absolutely. Great leaders like Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, and so on, they all had, you know, training in this way of thinking and in this way of living. And I think that societies we would be so much better off if we infused more of that thinking today. Yeah. And do you have um, some wonderful messages there? And do you have you know, a message for the business community and, and business leaders today? Let me say this for business leaders. Recognize that every person in your organization is a valuable gift to your organization. They're bringing skills, they're bringing abilities. And because of them, you are able to offer the great value to the world that you're offering. And so therefore, you want to treat your people as the treasures that they are. And that's why the positive leadership that we're talking about, because when you use that, the company's better off, you as a leader is better off, and so are the people who work for you and your customers. Fantastic message. Let's um got a few minutes left and you know, I'd be interested to hear a little bit about your work. And also I know you you're working with the Kellogg's Foundation. You're involved in a, a three year fellowship um developing leaders in the Native American community in New Mexico. So I wonder what you've what you've learned from that. You know, what I love about the Kellogg Foundation, the Kellogg Foundation is all about creating conditions that are better for children across the United States. And in some communities, children are having a hard time because there are food deserts, as we call it, in those communities. There's joblessness, and particularly in the pandemic. So when you're talking about communities of color, whether it be Native American, African American, or whatever, when there's a challenge, those communities suffer even more. And we find that the death rate is so much higher from the pandemic, and particularly amongst the Native American community in New Mexico. So the foundation, to its credit, does work with all races. And so the fellows are 80-some people who come from across the United States from all ethnic backgrounds. And in New Mexico, which is one of the geographical areas that I'm personally working more closely with, we have representatives from the African-American community, Asian, um, the Latino community, as well as Native American. However, it's just that the Native American community is particularly large in New Mexico. And I'm aware of some of the challenges that they're facing there. So what I've learned is how important it is to, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, study the issues, know what's going on, come together collectively to identify the solutions and to bring the kind of leadership that makes a difference so that you actually move forward. Wow. So when you're not working with uh, the Kellogg's Foundation, what else are you doing and who's your ideal client? My ideal clients would be executive business leaders in midsize to large organizations. I actually work in all sectors. You know, Chris, I have clients that are in military clients, federal government clients, corporate clients, and then also nonprofit, which would be predominantly major foundations, sometimes faith-based organizations as well. However, if they are executive business leaders 
and they come from what I call a values-based kind of leadership. In other words, they're serving the community by, by their product or their service, and they care about how they're showing up and how they're serving. That's a good client for me because they're, they're a good candidate for positive leadership and and also, I would say, building into and watering and feeding their people appropriately. Fantastic. So do you have a final message that you'd like to leave us with today? I would say that as a leader, what you say carries weight and it matters. So make sure that what you say builds up and makes the world a better place. Wow. Well, um, thank you, Dr. Karen. You have certainly made um, the world a better place, I think, through this interview. You've certainly made my day, actually, listening to you and conversing with you and, um, and just really thinking through this whole aspect of positive leadership and why we have to uh, step up and do things in a different way. And I, I found that um, talking about Dr. Martin Luther King as well, and his um, his principles, which just makes you know the simple steps really, and they make so much sense. And uh, you know, you're right with um, the way that we're communicating today. Information and people being able to connect happens very quickly, and uh, we can move very quickly into that direct action without taking the necessary steps. And some great messages there for leaders of organisations: treasure your people, see them as a value valuable gift. So um, once again, Ben, well, it's been amazing to have you today. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation, Dr. Karen. Oh, absolutely, Chris. Love speaking with you today. Thank you. Thank you. And if you want to um, find out more about um, Dr. Karen and to connect with her, go to uh, www.transleadership.com. That's transleadership.com. And um, on next week, well, next week uh, in America, you have Thanksgiving. So for those of you who are celebrating it, I hope you have a good Thanksgiving and uh, you're able to enjoy that despite this this pandemic and uh, to be in that place of love which uh, dr karen talked about it's, it's expansive with your your friends with your with your family those people you're able to connect with and uh, and forget about the fear for a little while enjoy that time together as, as a rest and a break and uh, so next week um because of thanksgiving i have to repeat a show and i'm repeating um, my good friend uh, jessica richard's show about changing the groundhog day she's an expert in in shifting beliefs and has a an amazing personal story so we're going to replay that next week and then the following week we have dr draven uh, james we're, uh, we're going to talk about um, achieving peace every day which feels really apt and follows this uh, interview with dr karen um, quite beautifully i think so uh, any questions do get in touch with me chris at chriscooper.co.uk love to hear from you love your feedback and i wish you all well and for those of you celebrating thanksgiving uh, do have a, a great time and take care Thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.